You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro. It's the amazing Rico Bronia podcast with your host, Evan Roberts. Welcome to Rico Bronia. It will be very, very depressing. I just want to put that warning out right away. This is one of those get your Kleenexes out, start tearing up. You're not going to feel good. You're going to cry. We discuss and debate what was the worst season in the history of the New York Mets. And the reason why that's obviously a timely discussion is because 2023 is certainly up there. 2023 may take the cake because, as you may recall, We went into a season after the Mets had won 101 games. We had an over-under of 92 and a half. We were one of the favorites to come out of the National League. And instead, we went 75 and 87, played meaningless baseball over the final two months, and traded guys who are now pitching against each other in the American League Championship Series, Verlander and Scherzer. So this was an unmitigated effing disaster. But as a New York Met fan, we have a lot of those. This is not unique. It may be unique in terms of trading the guys away and eating a ton of money to get prospects, but it's not unique in terms of disappointment. So full disclosure, I am going 1990 on with this because before that, It's just me kind of regurgitating what my dad told me or what happened in history. You know what I mean? Like how you felt in 1970 after the Mets won the World Series, how you even felt in 1987. I certainly know the stories. Terry Pendleton hitting a big home run in September. Mets Cardinals, David Cohn breaking a finger. Like, yeah, there's a lot of examples of disappointments throughout the 60s, the 70s, and the 80s. But I kept this to 1990 and above only because it's something that I can talk about from experience, something that I can, my blood will boil and I can say, hey, I remember how this one felt. This was actually as bad or this was worse or this was the worst season ever. So just throwing it out there, we're really starting from 1990 on. Before we get to our picks in terms of worst season ever, we need some background. So let's get a little bit of background. If you go by over-unders, and the reason why I find over-unders to be interesting in this now legalized gambling world is over-unders aren't about just gambling. Over-unders are about, hey, this was the expectation for a team. This was the national expectation on how a team would do. We thought they'd win 85 games. We thought they'd win 90 games because I think sometimes as fans, we're delusional. We don't necessarily think the way the world thinks. I'll give you a decent example about that. Here in New York, it's not baseball related, but the New York Giants. Like the New York Giants are coming off a year 
after the 2022 season in which they made the postseason and fans were riding high. They had an aggressive offseason. They brought in Darren Waller. And so Giant fans were thinking, hey, we should get better. And yet their over-under was seven and a half. Their over-under was to be a below 500 team. And what that told me all offseason going into the year, not that the Giants were going to have a bad year. I don't think it told us that. But it told us, hey, no one really believes in the Giants. Like we as fans have greater expectations than what they really are nationally. So I think over-unders are a great indicator on, hey, these were the expectations coming into a season. The reason why that matters in a discussion like this is what were we thinking in 2017? What were we thinking in 1992? What were we thinking in 2009 or whatever season you want to come up with? So I have the over-unders from every Mets season dating back to 1990. In those years, there is a year in which the result was so far away from the over-under that it's the greatest number by far. And a spoiler alert, it's not this season. In 2023, the Mets had an over-under of 92 and a half, and they won 75 games. That means they came under that number by 17 and a half games. The record over the last 25 years, I guess more than that now, 35 years, was 25 games. There was actually a season in which the Mets were seven and a half games worse based on their over-under than this past season. Does that take the cake? Does that mean that this particular season was the worst year ever? More on that in a second. The answer to this trivia question on, hey, what was the biggest disappointing season in terms of over-under versus result? Well, that answer is 1993. In 1993, the Mets had an over-under of 84. They won 59. They were not quite the worst team money could buy. That was 1992, but they were really the worst team money could buy because 1993 was even worse than the year before. They were 13 games worse than the year of 1992. And what's crazy about 1993 was they had Bobby Bonilla. They had Vince Coleman. They had Howard Johnson. They had Eddie Murray. They had Todd Hundley. They had Jeff Kent. They had Doc Gooden. They had Frank Tanana. You know Frank Tanana? He throws in the 90s and the 70s. He throws in the 70s and the 90s. They had Johnny Franco. They had everything. And then they had a lot of losses. 1993 was, I don't want to say it's my first year remembering baseball, but it's one of my first years remembering baseball. And what a way to start watching baseball. Do you remember 1993, Pete? Like, do you remember watching it? Were you not interested in baseball at that point? Where no, were you? no, dude. I was definitely rocking baseball because I remember that was the Phillies-Toronto World Series, I'm thinking. It was. Philadelphia-Toronto, 1993. That is I, correct. I go back a little bit further than that where I remember the slide of Sid Bream into home plate. That's that's the first, like, playoff run that I was, like, really locked into. So that was a few years prior to that. But yeah, like I that was I was I was in on on 93 for sure. So <laughs> the reason why despite the Mets finishing 25 games below their expected win total that year, the reason to me this is not even close to being their most disappointing season, believe it or not, is not even close is that I remember 1992. 
Like 1992, the Mets sucked. They were the worst team money could buy. In fact, in 1992, the Mets made the decision late in the year to trade David Cohn. They traded David Cohn of the Toronto Blue Jays, as we recall, for Jeff Kent and Ryan Thompson. So the Mets at the end of 1992 had realized, hey, this is a terrible, terrible season. Their GM at the time was Al Harrison. Jeff Torberg was their manager. They decided to, I don't want to say rebuild, but hey, this isn't working. David Cohn's going to be a free agent at the end of the year. Let's trade David Cohn. Obviously worked out for David, went to Toronto. They won the World Series. The Mets only got back one of the greatest hitting second basemen of all time in Jeff Kemp and Ryan Thompson, who skill-wise was compared to Willie Mays. Obviously, he wasn't. (laughs) But that's why 1993, and maybe I'm partial because I was 9 to 10 years old, so I guess my thoughts are different at that point, but I can't call that the most disappointing season of all time. They were coming off a year in which they lost over 90 games. Like, how delusional were we that the next year they were just going to get automatically better? They weren't even that different. Like, they added some youth in Jeff Kent and Ryan Thompson, and they called up Pete Shurik and Eric Hillman and guys like that, but they their rotation wasn't better because Frank Tanana was there. Like, it was not a great rotation. It was not a great team. Like, I guess we were hoping Doc Gooden was just going to, you know, be awesome. Doc actually had a pretty good year in 1992, made every start, had a mid-three ERA. But you still had Bobby Bowe, who was already having his issues with the media. You still had Eddie Murray. Like, I didn't think they were going to lose 103 games, don't get me wrong. But did we really think they were going to go from 90 losses to 90 wins? So to me, I have a really tough time putting 1993 up there with such high expectations because how did we expect them to be good considering what happened a year earlier? In fact, I'd argue 1992 was more disappointing because in 1992, Eddie Murray was new. Bobby Bonilla was new. Like there was this hope of, oh, this team's going to be really, really good. And it obviously didn't happen. Big part of 1993, though, was also Anthony Young. Anthony Young had that losing streak, which was just remarkable. (laughs) And a lot of it was bad luck, because at one point, uh, John Franco got hurt, and Anthony Young had become the closer. And so Anthony Young was not in positions to win games and break his losing streak. That was actually 1992 when the losing streak started, and he was the closer. He finally won a game in 1993. Uh, Point is, that team sucked. They both sucked. It was very, 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 very bad. Yeah. 1992, by the way, their shortcomings in terms of how many games below the over they finished is actually, you ready for this? Two, four, five. The sixth biggest disappointment in Met history in terms of falling short of the over-under. Their over-under number was 88 and a half. They won 72 games. That's a minus 16 and a half. That means there were four years besides 1993 in which there were bigger disappointments based on that metric. But to me, 1992, more disappointing than 1993. Yeah, listen, I, I, I think they both are disappointing, but I don't think they're the worst. Like I Obviously, maybe it's because I'm a little bit younger, so my expectation, they didn't have, you know, I, if I'm correct, like 90, 91, they weren't doing well anyway. They weren't, they weren't in the playoffs. Those years, 89, 91, 89, 90, 91, they weren't in the playoffs. So they were trying to go somewhere, but it wasn't working. So I guess I just didn't expect them to get there anytime soon. I didn't see them uh, taking that big step forward. So I guess I wasn't as disappointed as I was about some other teams. We also didn't have a frame of reference because we were like kids. We're just all 
We don't know what good is. It's funny. So in 1990, the Mets won 91 games. They lost Daryl Strawberry. In 1991, they came back down and won 77 games. Then they went out and spent. And the Mets said, okay, I guess it's time for a new era of Met baseball. Sonic Vince Coleman replaced Daryl Strawberry. Didn't exactly cut it. And that's when they went out and they added Willie Randolph and they added Eddie Murray and they added Bobby Bonilla. They added Brett Saberhagen. Like they were very aggressive in trying to make the mid 90s like, hey, the turnaround after a brief kind of respite in 1991. So they were trying to buy a championship and it obviously failed miserably. By the way, we just finished paying off Brett Saberhagen about a year ago, I think. <laughs> yeah, that one didn't work out very well. And I remember when we dumped him. We traded him to Colorado for Juan Acevedo. And I there talked myself into Juan Acevedo is going to be the next great pitcher. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is wasabi technology wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams including 20 major league baseball teams like the red Sox and nhl teams like the bruins and vancouver canucks even the liverpool football club is getting in on the wasabi action so why is wasabi the mvp well wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based championship team it's only a kick a jump a block it's only a serve it's only a tackle a run it's only for the fans after all it's only pressure you got this adidas so the second biggest disappointment in Mets history based on underachieving from over-under. Are you ready for this one? I don't know. This one may surprise you because in a very similar fashion, it comes off a bad year too. Like what's weird about 1993 is that it's coming off of a bad season, and yet the team had high expectations. So I'm going to give you one that's kind of surprising. 2003. The 2003 New York Mets had an over-under of 86 and a half. They were high expectations for the 03 Mets after they won 75 games a year earlier. Remember, they added Robbie Alomar in 2002. They added Mo Vaughn in 2002. They added Jeremy Burnitz in 2002. But now they moved on from Bobby Valentine, and they are hired Art Howe. 
So I don't know why. Oh, because they added Cliff Floyd? Like, the big moves were actually made going into the 2002 season. The big move going into 2003 was signing Tom Glavin. So now you had Tom Glavin, you had Al Leiter, you had Steve Troxell, who they had just added. And so the Mets had expectations that had their over-under at 86 and a half, and the season was a disaster. It was, it was horrible. They won 66 games. But what's weird is that it was off a bad year. It was off of 2002 where they won 75 games. That one felt more obvious, and that's why I'm sorry. 2003, it's not one of the more disappointing seasons in the history. I mean, it is. Let me frame that correctly. It's not in the top, top of disappointing seasons because I felt it coming. Like, none of us even wanted Tom Glavin. Who the hell wanted Tom Glavin? And then he walks through that door on that cold afternoon against the Chicago Cubs, and he takes a giant shit all over the field while we're freezing our asses off. Tom Glavin began his career as a Met and ended his career as a Met in the most ridiculously lame fashion. Opening day in the cold against the Cubbies, in which he sucked, and then walking off the mound of a chorus of booze against the Marlins in 2007. But much like 92-93, I look at 02 and 03 very similarly. 02, in which their over-under was 90 and a half, and they won 75 games. 15 and a half uh, disappointment. That's a more disappointing year than 2003. Because again, the Mets are trying to reload after 01, disappointing year, kind of end of an era uh, from that 2000, 2001, 1999 period. They bring in Robbie Alomar. They bring in Jeremy Burnett. I think they bring in Roger Cedeno in 2002. I'm trying to remember if that was the year. And they sucked. They were bad. And it was the last year of Bobby Valentine's where they decided we're going to blame Bobby Valentine and we're going to keep Steve Phillips. Great plan. And then Art Howe becomes the manager. So O two 2 more disappointing than 2003. So I'm confused right now because, I, I, listen, I, I we're fans of the Mets, right? So you and I, we sat here all offseason talking, kind of overhyping our team. Never said that they were going to win the division. I think both of us said that wasn't going to happen, but said they were good enough to make the playoffs and whatever. And they completely crapped the bed. But, like, like you said, when you're coming off as a bad season of 75 wins and you project them to win, what was it, 88? What was the in number? 2003 in? was 86 and a half, yeah. 86 and a half, like, major jump. Why? Because Tom Glavin, this old-ass pitcher that shows up. Like, I don't understand. Why are they – and respect, I love the Mets, but they get overhyped by the writers, the media, the, the Vegas, like no one else. Am I wrong yeah. on that? No, not in that time period, you're not. I mean, they they were overhyped in 92, 93 because they spent and bought players. They were overhyped in 0203 because they bought players. I think in general, that's just the way it works. If you go out and have an aggressive offseason, your hype is going to go up. The problem is the Mets failed with it miserably. This is why, as much as I kill the Wilpons, they spent. Like, they had moments in their history where they were aggressive in spending. They just didn't spend in the right way. So 92-93, 0-2-0-3, we mentioned how disappointing it was, but to me, not in the top three. There are other years that come above that. And guess what? We're about to get to those years. We're about to get to the years that really rankle me in terms of disappointment and are candidates for our vote as the most disappointing year in the history of the New York Mets. So let's get to the third Biggest disappointment based on 
projected win total to where it turned out. And this could win. I'm warning you right now. 2009. In 2009, the New York Mets had an over-under of 90 and a half. They were, for context, coming off of missing the playoffs on the final day of the season in 2008 and 2007. So while the Mets were coming off of massive disappointments, they were coming off of 88 wins and 89 wins. The Mets were coming off of a stretch in which they had four consecutive winning seasons. That doesn't happen very often. Like, it was almost the glory days of the New York Mets. Though we did have that in the late 90s, early 2000s. 97, 98, 99, 2000, 2001. We had five consecutive winning seasons, including how many postseason appearances? Two of them. So, context. The Mets are in the NLCS in 2006. We lose the seventh game. We all remember that. They choke in 07, win 88 games. They lose a pennant race in 08. They win 89 games. They go out and try to fix their bullpen by signing Francisco Rodriguez and they acquire J.J. Putz. So the Mets look at what happened at the end of 08 and they say, okay, let's just fix our problem. Let's add bullpen help. Let's go add K-Rod. Let's go add J.J. Putz. Seems like a logical plan. Seems like, oh, this makes sense. So the Mets come into the season, opening up a brand new stadium, City Field, coming off a year in which they won 89 games. Johan Santana's back for another season. Let's go. They bring in Gary Sheffield, who maybe has something less at the age of 40. Let's rock it out. Let's have some fun. And they sucked. And they sucked. And that season, personally, here's another reason why it was so disappointing. We go into a new stadium, a stadium I was not excited for as a fan. They jacked the crap out of the prices. Like the prices to go to City Field were so, so high compared to Shea Stadium. They start the year with just like this endless road trip. They open up the stadium with a night game against the Padres. A night game? Every opening day is at 110, 140. Now you're playing a night game against the Padres, and the first batter of the game, Jody Garrett, hits a home run. I mean, it was just a freaking disaster. It was not fun. Now, they actually played reasonably well till about June because they hung in there. They didn't get off to a terrible start. It wasn't one of those, hey, they're obviously done. What did them in is June. They went 9-18 and 18 in June. They went 8-20 and 20 in September. The season really spiraled. Carlos Beltran got hurt, which was a huge blow. And 2009 was just, it was one of those disasters that never end. You know, Carlos played well, but he missed half the year. David Wright couldn't hit a home run because the fences were so deep, which became an issue all season long. We quickly realized that Luis Castillo is just not that good. And then he topped the cherry on it by dropping a pop-up against the New York Yankees, the Luis Castillo game, as it's called. They also had a game in Los Angeles where Ryan Church missed third base. They were piling up brutal losses. They were piling up the losses, and they did this off of a year in which, in a brand new stadium, the expectations were still high that that era Mets were going to win something. And they went out, and they lost 92 games. That's up there, bro. It was one of the worst seasons in the history of the franchise. I'm sorry. But that was the Omir Santos year, right? 
where he really? hit a home run. Yeah. Really? One game at Fenway Park supersedes <laughs> all of everything I just said. Are you freaking kidding me? Uh, that, you know what? I think I watched that on like Mets flashbacks for, for years, for decades. Uh, no, you're right. That was th- I that I actually didn't buy season tickets 2009. They called me up and they asked me why. I said because you have basically the same team coming back from the past couple of years, and they're just not good enough. You need to bring in more talent. Like I don't want to see the same crappy pitching staff anymore. Like Yoan Santana, I think by that point in time was was good, but he was still he was still hurt. Uh, we're coming off an injury in 2008, right? Yeah, a good two- year. In 09, he made 25 starts, had a very solid season. So it was the rest of the rotation. It was the fact that Mike Pelfrey sucked. LaVon Hernandez is making a bunch of starts. Tim Redding is making starts. Oliver Perez was an unmitigated disaster with that mm. new contract. And the bullpen additions didn't work the way they envisioned it. That's for sure. Yeah, Putz sucked. Putz was a putz. He sucked. Yeah, he wasn't good. J.J. Putz wasn't good. Sean Green wasn't good. Bobby Parnell wasn't good. He was a young player at the time. Francisco Rodriguez was good until the Luis Castillo blown pop-up. He had not blown a save until Luis Castillo dropped that pop-up. 2009 is a special year because a lot of seasons in our history kind of blend together. You almost forget. I'll give you a few examples. 2010, 2011, 2012, 2013. They all blend together. They really do. I know in a few of those years, we had decent starts and then collapsed in July. Like, you almost forget specifically what happened. I, 2013, I remember. Matt Harvey. I mean, who could forget that? And R.A. Dickey in 2012. Like, though, I, guess the, I guess there are certain things that you don't completely forget. But 2009 was special and unique. New stadium. Carlos Beltran misses half a year. The fences destroy David Wright. And then there were games, like we just mentioned a few of them, that you will never forget. I'll give you another one from 2009. I'll never forget this. City Field, Mets, Phillies. Jeff Francoeur lines into an unassisted triple play to Eric Brunlin. It was just, what? Did we did we lose a game on an unassisted triple play? What? So you throw that in with the Luis Castillo game, with the Ryan Church game. I guess positively to your point, Pete, we have the Omer Santos game. It was one of those years that you just remember everything. And it was also, and this is what's going to make judging 2023 very difficult. 2009. Did we say 2009 or is it just 2009? I think think it's 2009. Was the beginning of our end. Like it led to a dark period of Mets history. It led to the Bernie Madoff, Will Pond-esque Mets, you know, the post-Madoff world that the Mets lived in. It led to a very dark time where the spending kind of went away. We weren't good. We were boring. We weren't awful. Like, here's what's crazy about that team that lost 92 games. During that dark period between 2010 and 2014, we didn't lose 90 games. It's kind of kind of weird. Like, we lost 83 games, we lost 85 games, we lost 88 games, we lost 88 games, we lost 83 games before we turned it around in 2015. So it wasn't even bad, bad, but it was boring and it wasn't good. So a part of what makes 09 so epically disappointing is what it led to. So put that on the list. That's up there. 2009 is our first real candidate for worst season in the history of the New York Mets. 
All right, it's up there. But now, was Omar still there in 2009, or how many more years do you have left? Omar Minaya was still the general manager of the New York Mets. Omar Minaya was the GM the following year in 2010, and after the season, that's when he was fired. So 2011, that was the beginning of the Alderson-Collins era, and they were mediocre and boring for four years before things turned around, which is amazing. Think about that. 2011, 2012, 2013, and then 14 was like signs of being good. And then obviously 2015, they win the pennant. So yeah, Omar and Jerry were done after 2010. And that ushered in the Alderson-Collins era, which at first did not look like it was going to go well. Because like I mentioned, they had a couple of bad years. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Number four on the list in terms of biggest disappointments based on expected win total and what happened, well, we have a tie. We have a tie between two seasons. And let me just tell you right now, they are both candidates to be the worst season in the history of the New York Mets. You got 2017 and you have 2023. So let's start with 2023 because obviously that's what's led to this whole discussion. The Mets came into this season, this past season, with an over-under of 92 and a half. They won 75 games. The expectations were also buoyed by the fact that we won 101 games the previous year. The lineup was virtually the same. We were hoping Brett Beatty, Francisco Alvarez, young players would contribute. They replaced Jacob DeGrom with Justin Verlander. They replaced Chris Bassett with Kodai Senga. They replaced, uh, let's say, Taiwan Walker with Jose Quintana. And the expectations were sky high. We underachieved by 17 and a half games. The exact same number we underachieved in 2017, which I may argue that may be the worst season in the history of the Mets. 2017, the Mets had an over-under of 87 and a half, and they won 70 games. Keep in mind what happened. So in 2015, the New York Mets win the pennant. We all remember that. In 2016, the Mets get off to a bad start and get ravaged by injuries. They lose Matt Harvey. They lose Jacob DeGrom. They never have Zach Wheeler. By the end of 2016, as the Mets are trudging their way to 87 wins and wildcard spot number one, they are relying on a rotation of Noah Syndergaard, who's fantastic, Robert Gazelman, Seth Lugo, Bartolo Colon. The 2016 Mets by the end, you know, was kind of like a bag of misfit toys. 
the fact that they made the playoffs, I got to hand it to them, was very Yankees-like. You know how the Yankees kind of find a way to make the playoffs? The New York Mets that year featured Asdrubal Cabrera, who had a very good year, featured Neil Walker, who replaced Daniel Murphy from a year earlier. That was, or no, from, yeah, from a year earlier. That was a huge mistake. It featured James Loney getting a lot of time at first base. It featured them trading for Jay Bruce, and he was abysmal. It featured Kelly Johnson coming back again. Uh, yeah, it wasn't good. And by the way, one other guy I forgot who got hurt that year was Steven Matz. So it wasn't just Matt Harvey, Jacob DeGrom, Zach Wheeler not pitching. You also throw Steven Matz in. But they managed to win 87 games. And they managed to get to the wild card game. And so the expectation going into the following season was, wait a second, we made the wild card game and we were ravaged by injuries. We get our guys back healthy. There's no stopping us. DeGrom's healthy. There's no stopping us. Robert Gazelman for a full year. Seth Lugo for a full year. Zach Wheeler's finally back. Matt Harvey's healthy. Steven Matz is healthy. Bro, it's on. And that's why I'll never forget saying this, Pete. When the Mets in 2017 went 70 and 92, and everything possibly went wrong with that team, I remember saying on the air at the time how it truly felt. This is the most disappointing year in the history of the New York Mets. Because that's how it felt. Because they had a season coming off of, and it's different than 22 to 23. Because 22, they won 101 games. Yeah, we're expecting them to be really good again. 16 was, wait, we won 87 games. We had all these injuries. We got to the wild card game. Holy crap, man. We're even somewhat healthy. Balls to the wall. We're winning a championship. And it was a disaster. Everything was a disaster. Yoenis Cespedes missed half the season. Disaster. Juan Lagares couldn't stay healthy. Disaster. Jose Reyes is back. yippee de doo da Disaster. Travis Darno missed 50 games. Disaster. Lucas Duda missed half the season. Disaster. Neil Walker missed half the season. Disaster. It was just from top to bottom. Here's all you need to know about the 2017 Mets. Jose Reyes played the most games on the team. And we're talking about a 34-year-old washed to a degree. Jose Reyes. 2017 was bad. So the one thing I have to throw a little caveat in there, and this was the frustration I had going in 2017, which is not saying that I I wanted to say I told you so, but sometimes you you see the writing on the wall. Going into that offseason, what did the Mets do to make the team better? What was their big transaction? In 2007, going into 2017? Yeah. Resigning Yoenis Cespedes for the second year in a row, like they literally think about this. This is my biggest issue with Sandy Alderson. They made a huge splash in twenty fifteen. Like like twenty fifteen, Sandy said, "This is not going to be our year. We're we're getting close." Twenty sixteen, literally twenty sixteen is going to be the year we compete. So twenty fifteen, they happened to strike. You know, hot get hot. They were in it at the trade deadline. They struck gold. They first of all, they lucked out by not getting um, what's his name, uh, Carlos Gomez, and making that screwy trade. But they struck gold with Cespedes, who carried him to the playoffs. Got that? We understand that. So you already acquired Cespedes once in 2015. Their big move in 2016 was to re-sign him. They gave him that stupid opt out, and then in 2017 again, 
Your big move is to resign him. That is not getting better. That's just staying stagnant. That is something that was wrong with 2023 going into the season as well. They kind of stayed stagnant. You're not wrong, and I remember our bar was so low because the Wilpons owned the team that re-signing Cespedes, even though that contract turned out to be just an unmitigated disaster, excited us. But I think what they were banking on, and I guess it's similar to 2023, was specifically with the pitching. DeGrom will be great and be healthy. DeGrom was healthy. Jake made 31 starts, but he was very... He was, I don't want to rip him. He was their best pitcher. He had a three and a half ERA. He was not dominant Jake yet. He was solid Jake. He was innings eater Jake. I went out through 200 innings. Like he was different than what we imagine now. Now we imagine dominant, but he never pitches. In 2017, Jacob DeGrom made 31 starts out of three and a half ERA made and through 200 innings. So kind of throw him to the side because he was fine. Robert Gazelman sucked after the promise of 2016. Rafael Montero got a chance to pitch. He sucked. Seth Lugo as a starter, very average. Matt Harvey was bad. I mean, Matt Harvey was atrociously bad. And that was a shame because I think there was still hope that Matt Harvey was going to become something. And we obviously knew, okay, this is not happening. Zach Wheeler, finally back from Tommy John surgery, made 17 starts. He was bad. Not that that should surprise you, but I think there was hope coming off Tommy John. He'd be fine. And Steven Matz only made 13 starts, and he was bad. So what made 2017 the disaster that it really was was just the starting pitching, that youth. We didn't have, Do we have a nickname for them? Generation K was Paul Sizzy and Wilson. What was our nickname for Matz, Wheeler, DeGrom, Syndergaard, Harvey? I don't even know what it was. But 2017 is when it all came crashing down. All came crashing down. And I leave out the fact that Noah Syndergaard only made seven starts. I forget him because Noah was so good in 2016. And he pitched well in the seven starts he made, but he got hurt and we never saw him again. So it was so disastrous. And it had a lot of promise. And much like what I said about 2009, you now know what it led to. It led to bad stuff. It led to a bad year in 2018. It led, well, well, first it led to Terry Collins being fired. Let's start with that. It led to Matt Harvey being gone. It led to that. But it led to the Mickey Calloway era, which produced a very disappointing 18 season, a frustrating 19 season. It led to Beltron into Rojas in 2020. It led to brand new ownership. It led to the disappointment of 21. And here we are. 22, the Fart in the wind, the 101 win season, my favorite phrase. And then the disappointment of 2023. Like 17 is really, really up there. 2009, 2017, 2023, to me, are the three finalists as the worst seasons in the history of the New York Mets. All right. So I, I, there's two nicknames that I came across, by the way, for those pitchers. Now, obviously, uh, they're, they're, one is for four of the pitchers and then one is for five. So, one is called the Four Horsemen of Queens. I don't remember that one so much, but that supposedly was Syndergaard, DeGrom, Harvey, and Mats. And the other was the Flushing Five. Do you remember that one? <laughs> I, I kind of remember the Flushing Five vaguely, but I, I don't know. I'm not a big nickname guy. I don't even remember. It's funny with Generation K. I don't remember Generation K being a nickname until after the fact. Like, as it was happening, I remember Dallas Green abusing Bill Pulsifer's arm. But I don't actually remember those nicknames. Either way, 
That's why 17 was a disappointment. So we got 2009. Do you agree, by the way, that those three are the seasons that jump out at you in terms of biggest disappointments as a Met fan? Or is there one that I'm not including that you would put up there? 2009, definitely. 2017, I you nailed it when you said it. I was about it. 2023, and I'm trying to think if there's something else that I'm, I'm that you're missing that should be obvious. I mean, because again, it's the culmination of 2009 stems from the, the disappointment 2006, 2007, 2008 into 2009. So I, I think, I think you nailed it. Yeah. So the edge that nine and 17 have over 23. It's weird to say this, but the edge it has is we know how it played out. Like we know what happened next. And what really adds to the disappointment of nine and 17 is that it was the end of a mini era. 2017 was the true end of that little run that they had with the young pitching that propelled them to the World Series in 2015 and the wild card game in 16. And 17 was the realization of this isn't happening. Like this is not, this isn't going to end with some kind of sustained success. And I think 09 was very similar to that 06, 07, 08 era. You know, they had three competitive years in a row, the deep rivalry with the Philadelphia Phillies, the pennant races of 07 and 08. And 2009 just turned out to be the moment where you said, okay, this isn't going to work. Like, wow, we're never going to win with this team. 2023, we don't know. Now, 2023, is leading to a completely different era in the history of the New York Mets. There's a new manager. There's a new team president. There's uncertainty about what this team's going to do in the offseason. So a part of why I don't make it the most disappointing season in the history of the New York Mets is we still sort of have have hope. Like, I think the answer is 2009. You You know, actually 2017. And the reason why it's 2017 over 2009 is that while I still had hope for that core, and for that roster, seven and eight kind of showed us they're gutless. It showed us, yeah, they may make the playoffs, but are they ever going to go on a run? Did losing in the seventh game to the St. Louis Cardinals the way they did, did that break this team? Because they choked in 07, they lost the pennant race in 08, pennant races that were right in front of them. Let's be honest, as banged up as they were in 08 with that bullpen with Luis Ayala being forced to close, like it was in front of them in their own building. Win your games, you're going to the postseason. And they didn't do it. So looking back on it, 09 was so disappointing, especially with all those games that I I recall and we remember, but you kind of knew that it was flawed. It wasn't going to work. 17, man, come on. You make the playoffs a year earlier. You have all that young pitching that we all believed in. Like, I think that's worse than 2023 because in 2023, we rented a bunch of old aces that we had no history with, that we didn't have any long-term vision with. It was more, hey, let's win for a year or two, and then we're going to replace them. And we did it quicker than we thought. No, No doubt about it. We got rid of them quicker. But in 17, there was hope that Steven Matz and Noah Syndergaard and Matt Harvey and Jacob DeGrom and Zach Wheeler were all going to be the core that led us to the promised land. And it turned out to be a 90 loss season and the firing of a manager. So my opinion, I crown 2017 as the most disappointing year in the history of the New York Mets. I'm going to say 2023, and here's why. Um, It's a culmination of everything. 
First of all, you talked about 92, 93, 92 being the team that the worst team money could buy. I mean, the fact that the Mets put up $350 million and lost all those games. They won 75 games. That's embarrassing, especially after coming off of 101 wins. The trajectory of this team in a pl- era where you're supposed to make the playoffs, it's supposed to be easier to make the playoffs. Three out of the five NLEs teams made the playoffs, and the Mets won 75 games. It's embarrassing. You could talk about the injuries. You could talk about the management, the, who, the GM, whatever it is. It was all down. It was so bad, and you and I talked that up. We talked up this team. In 2017, I, again, it was kind of reminded me of 2009 a little bit too, where 2015, we went to the World Series. In 2016, a lot of guys got hurt, sure, but we, we couldn't compete. We really couldn't compete in 2016 in the, in the playoffs, if we, even if we got past that first round. 2017, it just felt like they didn't do enough going into that offseason that I felt good about the team, and that's what scared me is complacency. So the reason why... When we take emails to RicoB at gmail.com, people are going to agree with you. Like I, I think you're going to be in the majority on this is because a lot of people are going to put a lot of more stock in the money they spend than I do. While the money matters, and they did spend a fortune on the 2023 team, and they didn't in 2017. I mean, the money they spent in 2017 was essentially cesspitous. Like They didn't spend elsewhere. I don't look at it as... Did you get the best bang for your buck? Because clearly, if that's the question, then this is a debate between 92, 93, and 2023. I'd be the first to admit that. I look at it as, how did I feel going into a season? How confident was I going into a season? And while I had confidence the Mets would be a playoff team in 2023, obviously, I'm not going to rewrite history. I thought the Mets could win the World Series in 2017. I did. I did because of the pitching. I did because of what they showed me two years earlier in 2015. So I think more people will agree with you, but put yourself in the emotion of how you felt going into the start of that season and what you really, really thought from that team. I had higher expectations for winning a championship in 2017 than I did in 2023. Do not take this for anyone listening, as an excuse of 2023. 2023 sucked. It was the second worst year in the history of the franchise to me in my lifetime over the last 35 years. So obviously, I'm not trying to minimize it. I'm just trying to remind you. 2017 freaking blue. (laughs) That's what I'm trying to remind you of. Uh, Definitely send us your emails and thoughts on this, and we will read some on the next edition of the RICO. So The topic won't be brought up again necessarily, but we will certainly respond to some of your feedback on the worst year in the history of the New York Mets. Pete goes with this year we just had, 2023. I go with 2017, but we hopefully laid out the case for a lot of other seasons in the history of this franchise. The Rico B at gmail.com. We will try to do some more positive episodes, some more like, yay, life is good episodes. But for now, coming off of the shadows of such a devastating season, I'm sorry. There's a lot of bad. Thanks for listening and downloading Rico Bronya. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Rico Bronya podcast. It's amazing, isn't it? Make sure you download it now to keep it on you at all times. <laughs>